на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесь и плывут на зеленом ковре стадиона. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News podcast here with Russian Football News, of course. Um, thank you for joining us again after the last podcast. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, my name's Thomas Giles, your usual host, of course. And I have with me my regular guest. Well, one of them anyway. That's Toka Thelade, the editor of the website. Yeah, hey, Tom. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And of course, after his superb appearance a few weeks ago, it's been far too long. We've got James Nichols back. Hey, mate. Glad to be back on again. Good stuff. So, just just for the listeners, really, the topics for today, we're going to be looking at... I appreciate it's two weeks since his sacking, but we're going to look at Leonid Slutsky, of course, and his time in England, uh, sacked by Hull two weeks ago. And we're going to look at how he did at Hull, of course, but also, more importantly, from our point of view, I suppose, is what he's going to do in the future as a Russian coach, whether he'll go back abroad or go back to Russia. And then, as it's now the winter break in the Russian Premier League, we're going to be analysing... The uh, what's going on at the halfway stage. Don't worry, we're not going to go through all the teams because we appreciate that that would be very boring, but we're just going to pick out a few surprises and things like that. So, let's get on with the Slutsky topic then. Uh, as I said at the start, sacked uh, two weeks ago after a defeat, well, actually a draw by Sheffield Wednesday. That was on the 2nd of December. He left the following day uh, with Hull in 20th and they had four wins. So, James, I'll, I'll come to you on this first because obviously you're the you're like me, you're English, and we we've talked about this. I mean, from what you saw of Hull under Slutsky, what would you make of his time there? Yeah, I feel like at first it's a bit of a poison chalice for the whole job. The whole job for Slutsky. I mean, he's the first Russian to manage an English side, so it's quite it was quite a coup for him at first. And I did actually see Hull play when Sunderland went down to the KC Stadium, and it was a one-all draw. And uh, we got an early lead, Sullen did, and uh, Cole brought it back in the 82nd minute. And they, they played a possession-based football, but and they scored a lot of goals. I think they've scored <clears throat> they scored 34 goals this season, but considered considered 37. So they're they're quite an exciting team to watch this season. But in that one-all draw, it was kind of the opposite. They had a lot of possession, but didn't really fashion too many chances. I think they had over 20 odd shots on goal, but I think it was only like three or four actually on target. And this is against the Sunderland side, which was desperately poor defensively at the time under Simon Grayson. And it's only recently that they've got better than that. But <clears throat> it was actually quite a weird one, because when you look back at Hull's other results, they seem to be scoring quite a lot when you say that. But when I seen them personally, it was quite poor football. It was They didn't have very much penetration going forwards. And I know they are missing a lot of players, but it they're just hard, they were quite hard to gauge. And it was just hard to understand what Hull were trying to do when I've seen them play personally. Just just very quickly, James, I will mention, though, that you mentioned that they scored a few goals. I have to mention that six ago of those were against Birmingham City back in September. And a horrendous 6-1 defeat for us. But that's enough. That's the Birmingham City bingo yeah. out the way. But when did you... Yeah. So when was that Sunderland game? It was in September. It was the middle of September. So actually just before the Birmingham game, actually. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was just a couple of weeks before that. And they just didn't look very... Very penetrative whatsoever. I mean, one player that did miss at the time was Jared Bowen, who's a youngster, the whole academy player that signed from Hereford in 2014 when Hereford were having serious financial problems. And he didn't get too many chances at all until this season. Slutsky, as, as we all know from Russian football, is a massive purveyor of youth. And Bowen's a person, who have, one of his players who's really benefited from Slutsky's management. I think he's scored 10 goals in 20 games in the championship this season. And he's one of the top scorers. And has been firing throughout, but he he's recently got injured. But it shows that Slutsky had the faith in him, put him in there, and he's he brought him results at first. And he did ten and twenty is a brilliant record. <clears throat> but it kind of all went to the wayside. And they had a lot of injuries. They had a lot of players in and out. I think there was thirteen transfers in, in the summer and fourteen or fifteen out. They got spent twenty million euros. Yet forty five, forty six million came in which is quite a hectic transfer period for Hull. So like I say, it's a bit of a poison chalice for Slutsky. They've got the, obviously the well-known documented, the well-documented problems in the past with the Alam, the Alam Ahab and Asam Alam, who are in charge of Hull, and uh, the City Till We Die project about basically the Alams trying to turn Hull City FC into the Hull Tigers FC because he thought it was a more mar- more marketable brand. And basically the City Till We Die project, the, the, the fan group fought against the Alams, the Tried, tried to fall tooth and nail to stop them calling this. They tried to stop 
losing all the history as they saw it just for marketing purposes. And they won that fight in the end. And Alan actually gave up, stopped trying to call them the whole Tigers. But at that point, then backtracked a lot of his financial backing of the club. He's cut down completely. And I know they've spent 20 million euros, which is a lot of money in the English Championship. But that's because they brought in 26 million from the sales of big name players like Sam Klukas, I think went for 14, 15 million euros in the end. So there's a, there's a bit of instability at the club before Slutsky came in. And he would have known that. I mean, he spent six months in England. So he would have known about this instability. But then the instability continued throughout his reign. And unfortunately, he's a very likeable guy. As we all know, he's a lovely, lovely fella. And the Hull fans really genuinely like Slutsky. I've got, I know a couple of people who are Hull fans and they really hold him in high esteem. And if you hear like the English press met Slutsky very well, they like his jovial attitude. They like the, like, the fact the fact that he, he shakes, like he shakes back and forth on the touchline, he's kind of that that broke down a lot of barriers for all English fans. It's the old past stock stereotypical archetype image of Russia, of like being this hard edged country. Like that that broke down a lot of barriers for the whole fans and for the media. And he was really well liked, but unfortunately, the results on the pitch in the end just weren't good enough. I think he was the finished. They're currently nineteenth and five above the drop zone. When Slutsky was sacked. Uh, 10 days ago, 14 days ago, they were 20th and only three points above the relegation zone. And that's what caused Alan to pull the trigger on his tenure. I mean, Toker, I know you obviously don't watch much English football, but just from a general point of view here, you know, June to December was the rain, so six months. You've got to have sympathy here for Slutsky. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, it, it sucks for him. It's it's too bad. He has been working a lot. He has been working hard on getting this English job. He has prepared a lot. But when you win four games out of twenty, I mean, it it really can't go any other way. I mean, he didn't deliver. He didn't live up to the expectations, and they were in danger of relegation. So, I think it's it's perfectly understandable that 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 uh, Hull decided to sack him. I mean, it, there was really no. From I mean, I only followed like the results. I didn't follow Hull that closely, but from the outside, at least, it didn't look like he was about to change the whole thing. And unfortunately, I mean, there is another kind of pressure in England. In at Siska, he could do whatever he wanted, and and he would still stick around. And he basically had he had to leave himself before they eventually uh, before he eventually left the club. But at England, there's just a complete completely different pressure, and I guess it's it's an experience for him. I mean, James, just coming back to you there, Toka mentions about the results and things, and obviously I have a, obviously I understand his point of view. But what I would say is, I mean, personally, six months is not enough. And also, what, I'm just looking at the, the arrivals now of, that he brought in over the summer. I'm looking at players like Nua Dicko, who did well at Wolves when he was there. John Terrell, brought from Arsenal, but when he was on loan at Birmingham, won our player of the season in the Championship. Jackson Irving did very well at Burton last season. These are players yeah. who are established Championship. We see a lot of managers come into the Championship in particular and try and bring in new players who don't settle into the division. So with those transfers in mind, this really surprises me. Yeah, it's, they are very good players. I mean, Jackson Irvine himself, after... Slutsky has been sacked. Just recently in an interview, I actually praised how much work Slutsky done with the players and how much of a positive influence he was upon the players. And was actually kind of apologetic at, at times about how that he, they couldn't get the results for Slutsky. But the Championship is arguably one of the hardest leagues in the world. And I've learned that to the detriment myself as a Sunderland fan this season after yeah. 10 years away from I, I'd say the hardest person, James. The most competitive, certainly. Yeah. yeah. It, at times this season... They, some of the teams, the teams are very close together. You don't often see a team that just rips, tears you apart. But every single team is at such a close quality, at such a close level of quality to each other. That every single game is vitally important. And it's, it's like you say, Hull have bought some, in, some very strong players this year. But to get rid of, what, 14 players, to, bring in, to get rid of 14 and bring in 19, that's a lot, a lot of instability at the club. And I think, he probably deserved more time than six months, even though the results were very poor because of the sheer nature of the championship. Because of the actual preparation that he put in, I think Slutsky's actually spent more time in England preparing for the Hull job or any job than he actually did in the job at Hull, which is a bit of a shame for himself. So I, I think he deserved more time. But can the, can the financial situation at Hull, can the Alums afford to give him that time? I'm not so sure. 
I know very well myself. Like I'm, I'm coming from, as a fan who is, is a, of a championship club who themselves have already sacked a manager this season under dire financial constraints, under dire results. And I can back that one. And I think double standards wise, I can't, I couldn't not back keeping Slutsky. And I think it is unfortunately the right decision. And it shows the character of the man to part with mutual consent as well. That he just seen that it wasn't working out and he was willing to take the bite the bullet and do what we thought was best for Hull. I'm always um, suspicious of those, James, to be honest, when they say mutual consent, it, we mutually decided that you need to be sacked. Yeah, I always am as well, but I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just being an optimist with Slutsky because I do genuinely like the fella. I've got a massive part of affection for him. And mm. I think I wouldn't be surprised if he did go and, and accept that. Well, we do need optimism on this podcast because it's Toka and I this week. We don't have Andrew to back us <laughs> up, so you are needed. But, I mean, Toka... Looking, I mean, we've talked about the background at Hull there, and we've and James has spent, said how much time he spent preparing for a job in England. Going from what you've heard from James's excellent description of the situation at Hull there, would you say that he took? I mean, it's really easy now in hindsight, but would you say by going to the Championship, a really tough competitive league, compared to his situation at Siska, where obviously the Russian league is not so competitive, and generally he's always going to be near the top of the table, would you say this was the wrong job as he doesn't really have the right experience for it? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I think I said it as soon as he took the job at Hull that, that at Hull that this could only end one way. I mean, unfortunately, it was it was almost written before as soon as he accepted the offer. I mean, I think he took a job that's very unforgivable as a coach. I mean, practically impossible to be successful at a club like Hull. I mean, they have just been relegated. The club, this, the club and the squad was a mess. And then Stuski comes in. He doesn't have a big name in, in England, so... He doesn't really get that extra time that a bigger manager would have. But it just seemed like from the beginning that he was very, very settled on coaching in England. So instead of actually looking for the best possible fit abroad, he just went and it took maybe not the first job, but but one of the first jobs he could get in England. And I think that was a mistake. I think he should have stayed outside of England, built up a bit of a reputation, gotten a bit of experience with football outside of Russia before going to England because it is it is very difficult and I mean better managers than Slutsky has failed in the in, in England. So yeah, I think it was a mistake. Yeah, I mean J- James, I suppose you'd echo those thoughts as well. Yeah, hundred percent. It's a mistake from Slutsky. It's a mistake from Hull really. I mean Hull needed a manager that has an ex- has experience of the championship. They needed somebody with that stability to be able to get them to come, not just stay up, but to compete. I mean, they can't forget, Hull were relegated from the Premier League. They're not like they're not championship also runs. They, the Hull fans would have been going into the season, just like myself at Sunderland, just like Middlesbrough fans, expecting to compete for promotion. And they needed a manager who had ability in the championship, and experience of the championship to do so. But on Sluts, the Slutsky end as well, I think it was just a terrible choice from for Slutsky himself. Hull have got such... Like I said, Hull have got such dire financial constraints right now. They only manage to spend so much because they have actually quite small debt compared to some of the other teams like Sunderland who went down with them. But this, they only funded that by such a massive, massive income from selling on so many players. It's kind of, I just don't understand why Slutsky, if he spent so long, seven or eight months in England, staying with Abramovich in his hotel rooms in London, watching Chelsea play at Corbin. Uh, learning English, pre- preparing for every single job, researching for these jobs in the Championship from lowly Premier, te- Premier League teams, ones that he thought he might have a chance of becoming in charge. He knew the situation there. Why would he accept it? So I, I agree with yourself, Antoka. I think he looked for the job in England rather than looking for a job that was suited for himself. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing I'd say is, like, like we've mentioned before, I think the Championship is such an unforgiving league and there is that pressure, like Toka says, and you say there, with a recently relegated team like Hull, that there's that expectation to get back up straight away. And although he had all that research time beforehand, obviously he didn't have the, the hands-on experience. I think if he'd gone for another club, he'd sort of sat in the championships for... I mean, I'm looking at clubs just around the bottom of the table, for example. Somebody like QPR, who, I mean, I know they weren't, they didn't sack Holloway last season, and he's obviously still there. They beat us at the weekend, by the way. But... Um, Somebody like QPR, a, t- a club of that sort of stature where they've been sitting around in the division looking to sort of progress and will perhaps be given a bit more time to do things rather than hollow or under immediate pressure to get back up. But just moving on to Slutsky and his personal future, I suppose. Toka, I mean, two questions in one, really. And you made a really good point earlier about 
rushing to go to England, perhaps, which is a, a bad choice in hindsight. But would you say that, A, his reputation is now ruined in England, and where do you see him going next? Do you see him going to Europe, or do you think he'll go back to Russia? Well, I think I think you two are much better at, at uh, answering the first question that I am. I mean, I think you you know the media better than, than I do. But as an outsider, I'd say, yeah, he, I mean, he has a reputation as, as a failed coach in England now because people know him from being miserable at, uh, at Hull City. Not that many people know him from what he did as Cisco or as as uh, head coach of the Russian national team. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's quite difficult when you when you when you fail at one of the worst teams in the championship. I mean, you don't get many offers after that, and it's it's not like um, Sluski was Mourinho or something like that. So, it it will take him some time to rebuild the be rebuild his reputation. I hope he, I, I do hope he stays abroad. I, I don't I hope. He leaves England, but I hope he, he stays abroad in, in Russia, uh, in Europe somewhere, like Holland, for example. I remember we, we talked a lot about Holland after he uh, after the Euro when, when he announced that he, he would want to, to coach abroad. Yeah, there were, sorry, but, sorry, Tiger, there were big rumors yeah. of going to Vitesse Arnhem, of course, with that Chelsea link and Abramovich and everything. Exactly, yeah, they have a Russian uh, some Russian ties as well. And, I mean, that would make a lot more sense to me because that's a more forgiving league. You have more time, you have... Another climate where you get time to, to develop players, much like he was used to at Cisco. But I do feel that he'll return to Russia. I mean, there are some very uh, warm rumors of him going to, to Rostov at the moment. I could also see him moving to Krasnodar if they fire Shadimov within the, the next couple of months. But I, I hope he'll, he'll, he'll stay abroad and keep challenging himself instead of returning home and, and just becoming another one of the Premier League uh, coaches. Yeah, yeah, you know what I love about this podcast is that we try and promote Russian football, but all the time we're telling people to go away from <laughs> Russian football. I think it's amazing. But, I mean, James, I mean, the same question is to you, really. Would you say his reputation is our ruin in England? Toke says you're in a better position to answer. So the pressure's on here for you. And then also just about going going back to Russia or perhaps staying abroad. Yeah. I think Slutsky's reputation has taken damage. I took some damage from the time at all. But in the English media, at least, there is... A mass, there's a knowledge of what happened at Hull beforehand. It can't be understated what a, day, what a tragedy Asim Alam's time at the club has been for Hull fans. He's he's tried to change the name of the club. He's tried to take the tenancy rights from the stadium away. He's pretty much stuck his two fingers up at the whole town just because they stood against him. They stood up for their club. They stood up for the badge. They stood up for the city and the history. So he's took, stuck two fingers up at them. Denied them of all this financial situation. And now he's actually looking for a third party ownership to try and get rid of it. So it's 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 unbelievable what he has done to Hull, and a lot of people do understand that. So that's like because actually partly because of his character, a lot of the like, media has been quite kind on him because he's such a likable fellow. So his reputation has took taken damage, but not too much, and I think that's kind of indicated by the rumours of where he could be going next. If he does return to Russia, he's going to go to a big historic team, like Rostov, and possibly even Krasnodar. Krasnodar are huge, and if they do get Shalomov, I think it could be an interesting fit with the youth that they've got coming through there, which Slutsky's famous for. But there's also another interesting link, and that's joining Abramovich at Chelsea. And Michael Emanalo, of course, uh, retired, uh, resigned, sorry, from his role as sporting director at the club. And Slutsky, I think it's part, some, some of the rumours are claiming that he might be a direct replacement sporting director. Others are claiming that he might just be involved at the hierarchy at Chelsea. I mean, of course, he did spend that six months watching Chelsea train day in, day out at the Corbin training ground. Abr- Abramovich gave him 100% access, so he does know the players. And it might be people might be surprised by the size of Chelsea's job and actually the size of Sutsky's name outside of Russia, the, the juxtaposition of the two. But the fact, the fact that he's even linked to that job, apart from his obviously close friendship and comradeship with Abramovich, shows that he still does have a reputation in England, even if it has been damaged. And in Russia, of course, he's, his reputation is huge, especially at Siska. Siska still fans still love him. He's still a hero to them. But I do agree with Togger. I think he's probably better suited staying away from Russia right now. And even though that might not be good to go back to Russia, we would jokingly say that, but it's better for Russian football. Like, he's the first ever Russian to manage in England, and we don't want that to be a failure. No, I think that's a really salient point to round off the topic, to be honest. Yeah, no, the, the thing is also, if you do go back to, to Russia, I mean, what club could he actually take over? I mean, if he goes to Rostov, for example, 
you would go to a small club with no money. That would be a disaster. I mean, that would be so unworthy of a coach. He, like he him. didn't have money at Cisco, though, Toka. I mean, I, no, know, no. I, know, I know you say big small club, which is a fair point. I'm just making the yeah. financial point. And I mean, for example, Lokomotiv, they're not going to fire the coach. Spartak, they have Carrera, they're very happy as well. Um, a Senate, yeah, they're not going to fire Mancini uh, anytime soon. And then maybe there's Krasnodar back, maybe there's Siska back, but is that really what he wants to do? I mean, if he goes to Siska now, it could only be a failure. They have no money, they have a boy yeah. squad than when he left. And then there's, yeah. there's Krasnodar, so all a small club, you go to Rubin Kassan. And uh, I was going to just say Rubin there, yeah. Yeah. So that's not really an interesting job in, in Russia at the moment. I mean, I could understand if, if he could go and coach Senator Spartak, but that's not the case. So why would Slutsky go around coaching Ural, Rostov, Dynamo Moscow, something like that? I mean, that would be completely unworthy for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think the point you made earlier, talk about the Dutch league, and I'll, I'd also look at something like the, I, can't, I don't know the exact name, but the, the second Bundesliga, the German second tier, I think that would be a good good option for him. Yeah, something like that. I mean, there are so many interesting coaching jobs around Europe. So I, I just hope he, he finds the right one because obviously now it's, uh, he's under a lot more pressure after the whole failure. So he needs to find the right fit. Okay, so let's actually move on to that. We talk about all the Russian clubs there. So now let's actually sort of talk about the, the Russian league itself. Of course, 20 games into the season. It's the uh, the midwinter break has happened now. So we've got a, uh, a level table for a good few months now. So let's just sort of... I'm going to kick things off with you, James, and we'll start with a very obvious, and that's Lokomotiv Moscow, top of the table, eight points clear after 20 games. Nobody saw this at the start of the season. No, not at all. I think in my, I'm going to admit to something here, but in my uh, pre-season predictions, I predicted Lokomotiv Moscow would be the most disappointing side in the league. <laughs> could, still ha- could, league. could still happen. Could still happen. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I could be vindicated by if they don't win the league, it could be a disappointment. <laughs> but no, um, yeah, Lokomotiv, the, the start of the season was auspicious. Everybody's seen that they had something there. They had the, the development that they've made. Now, the, the way the players have developed, Anton Alexei Maranchuk and Manuel Fernandez as a trio are probably one of the, if not the most exciting trio in the league right now. The football that those three play and the interchangeable passes between them, the, the way they play it is absolutely fantastic. Jefferson Farfan up front has been playing out of his skin. I, I genuinely, this is one of the reasons why I predict him would be disappointing. Ari's injury prone, which is proven by why he's been out for so long. It was before they signed a day, who I don't rate anyway. And Jefferson Farfan played a lot of last season at right wing back, a lot of it on the right wing, and only ever featured up front, rarely, after he signed. And he didn't really impress that much. But he's been unbelievably good for Lokomotiv this, Lokomotiv this season. And I'd, I'd, honestly, I I'd, I'd, I'm kind of a little bit dispar- despairing at, at the surprise of it, but if you just simply watch them play and watch how they've performed this season, it completely understands it. And it's actually got a little bit of an air of Spartak last season a while. I mentioned in the previews on the site a couple of times that they just keep eking out these one-goal victories. They had two, two ones in a row. The last game was a 3-1. They've had a couple of one nils. They're going out, they're performing, and they're grinding out results, and that's a sign of a champion. The thing is, as well, James, I'll mention they mentioned the one nil results, and we saw Rostov nearly win the title on that basis a couple of years ago. With the yep. Russian league being so low scoring, if you can keep a clean sheet and nick that one goal, because they're so low scoring, you generally pick up points, wins generally. Yeah, definitely. It, it's exactly like Spartak and Rostov. I mean, Rostov, unfortunately, didn't, unfortunately, because of the surprise, not for the Scar fans, didn't go on to win that season. But I think Lokomotiv probably could do it, and they've been. Wonderful. It's it's a joy to watch, but this might be a little bit controversial, but their best player this season, bar none, and probably one of the best in the league so far, has been uh, Sabaka Kvelia at the back. I don't think I've seen anybody perform as consistently and as intelligently in defence in the Russian league for a couple of years. He was cast off from Ruben Kazan in January January 2017 in the last window window because he, he couldn't get a game at Ruben. And this this calendar year, he's performed unbelievably well for Lokomotiv. And I just honestly couldn't see it coming. But he's aerial jewels. He wins everything in the air. He's intelligent. He can pass the ball. He's got pace across the floor. I mean, I was sent up for a central defender. The, for me, the most three most important assets are the concentration, anticipation, and the inability to read the game. And for all three of them, he's just monstrous at the back. 
I mean, Toke, coming to you, I'm going to sort of twist this a bit, but just give your thoughts on Lokomotiv. But also, I'm looking at the the Pete, the teams we thought we'd challenge for the title this season, Spartak and Zenit mainly, are eight points off the league. And we spoke about Zenit possibly in panic stations last week. You know, what what would you make of their season so far? Well, I mean, Spartak started the season really, really bad. And there were rumours of Carrera be even being close to being sacked. But... They have finished. They finished the season brilliantly. So, I still, I still think they're a little challenge for the title. I mean, Lokomotiv have really taken advantage of of all the other top teams dropping points uh, here and there all the time throughout the season. But I still think that if Zenit and Spartak, and Spartak are already back at the old level, but if Zenit goes back to winning games again, I, th- I still think both teams are, are better than Lokomotiv, and I still think it it can get close in the end of the season. It, eight points is a, it's a big gap. Um, Lokomotiv have a nice, especially with only 10 games left, but I still think Lokomotiv, I mean, they're very dependent on the few players James mentioned, uh, Fernandes, the million chooks uh, for fun, so with an injury or two, it, it could get uh, very close again. And then, sort of looking perhaps a bit further down the table, I mean, I, we spoke on previous podcasts about the likes of Ural and Arsenal but look at Ufa as well here, James. Having a fantastic season up in sixth at the moment. Yeah, Ufa want to. Ufa kind of like they're not a surprise team. Like I said, like Lokomotiv was a, a surprise to myself. But Ufa aren't really Ufa. Is exactly what you expect from Ufa. I think they've only scored twenty goals this season, conceded twenty-two, which is kind of amongst the lowest for each each side. And they started off the year winning a lot of games by score, hardly ever scoring, but also conceding even less. They were very much just a steady ship. Since Goncharenko was left, Sergei Semak's been one of the most ex- got some of the most exciting results in the league. And I think Semak's, Semak's probably going to follow Goncharenko at some point in the future. They're moving to one of the elite in Russia. And, but as the season wore on a little bit, you got further into the into the year. The the, the kind of changed too far. It's it's not the old one nil victory at home, lose away one nil victory at home. Draw away. I mean, they're still terrible away from home. Don't get me wrong, but the winning, like the beat Amcar three nil. They've the but sorry, they lost to Spartak Moscow three one. They are scoring goals as well as conceding them. And instead of just being the bland old Ufa, as bad as that and just disparaging as that sounds, and that's part of the way they've slightly changed the game. They're, they're a lot less bare defensive under Semak as his 10 years went on. And one of the most impressive players this season for me so far has actually been Dmitry Storsky. And Storsky's been linked to some of the bigger clubs. I think he's been linked to Zenit and Spartak at times so far. But Storsky doesn't bring all the headlines like uh, Sly Igboon does at Ufa. But his he, sheer work rate off the ball just typifies Ufa. I think he's made more interceptions and made more tackles than any other attacking player in the league this season. And probably and at times more than some of the midfielders. I was looking at looking midweek, and he's made more tackles than zero zero Salatic this season, which is unbelievable. Considering Salatic is a very defensive midfielder, but that just typifies what Ufa are, and how they play. It's a collective. I mean, Toko, what are your thoughts on Ufa? And there are there any other teams in that sort of mid-table region that you'd pick out and like to comment on? Well, I think the whole mid-table. I think it's I think it's way too early to. To, to announce anything, I mean, only two points divide Ufa on the sixth place and Rostov on the tenth place. I mean, even Dynamo Moscow and Andrew Mikasan can easily move up and and take, I mean, take that sixth place that could give a, a European spot if one of the top teams won the cup. So, I mean, I th- we, we still have ten games left to play, as I said before, and it, it's so close in the in the middle of the league. I mean, we have some underachieving good teams, and we have to remember that in the Russian league. We have this winter break, and that's where the rich teams that can really make a difference, the rich teams who can afford to go on two or three training camps during the, the, the winter, compared to, for example, Ufa, who don't really have the money to go on that these um, training camps to top facilities abroad. And that's why we, often, we so often see clubs like Ufa or Amkar or Ural, these smaller clubs, we see them struggle in the spring because there's such a big difference between the teams who had a perfect preparation for the second half of the seasons and those um, and those teams who, who, who didn't have, I mean, those teams who couldn't afford top facilities. So, yeah, it's too early to call Ufa as, as the surprise of the season. They've, they've done really well and, and I have been very impressed, but 
I, I think they'll struggle in the spring, and and I expect clubs like uh, Ruben Kassan and and Achmar to to take some take some good uh, leaps forward in the in the table. Yeah, Togo, I'll come to you on this thing as you mentioned it straight away. I was going to point out Ruben to one of you, James. I'll come to you on this in a minute. I mean, there was a lot of expectancy around Rubin at the start of the season with Berdiev coming back and everything. Sitting in 11th at the moment, only a couple of points above relegation playoff places. Would you say their season's been a disappointment? Or actually, I remember at the start of the season, we were we were still quite sceptical about Rubin. Well, it, it, it has definitely been a, a disappointment. I mean, we even had the stories of the Rubin Kassan players haven't been paid for for four months now almost four months now so the club is definitely a mess i mean i think people had perhaps too big expectations for them before the season i mean okay they did get but if they did get a lot of really good players but you can't just change a team like that over the night i mean it does take time to build a team and and ruby ruby bought like 10 players in the summer and a new coach and a new owners and new everything so obviously it takes time and obviously you can't just expect results to be great from day one and then, of course, Ruben Kassan had the problems with the wages. I mean, if they can fix that, if, if the players will will get paid on time again, then surely they'll they'll move forward. I mean, they'll should take an, a nice step up and finish in the top half. But if the club continues to be a mess financially and, and have these strange problems with players not being paid and perhaps they're even forced to sell some players during the winter, then they can easily finish at the bottom and maybe even maybe even find themselves in problems with relegation at the end of the season because it is a, it is a very tricky situation at the moment. Yeah, James, coming to you on, Rubin, just one quick point. We were speaking about Slutsky earlier and being sacked after six months. Is there a thing with Berdiev at Rubin, because he's such a legend there, that he won't get sacked and that could actually... I mean, I'm not one for sacking... I'm not calling for Berdiev's head, by the way, and I'm not one for sacking managers <laughs> generally. But I'm just making the point that because he's a legend at the club, does that make him less easy to sack if you like even if they are in dire straits oh yeah without a doubt I mean Berziev will not be sacked by Ruben that is that is just case in point that is not going to happen you've got the two league titles in a row the famous wins over Barcelona at the new Camp his famous seasons in Europa Europa League football and although the fans at a couple of the there are sections of the fans the support who were a little bit mixed over Berziev because of the way he left in the past and obviously mixed over as Moon signing as well. But Berdiev is a legend at Ruben Kazan. He pretty much created the, the created the great great years at the club. He orchestrated it, led it, and he's not going to get sacked. And it is right, he is giving a little bit of leeway because of that. But he deserves that leeway completely. And Ruben are quite interesting because Ruben started the season very strongly. I think they only lost twice between July and August. They beat Angie 6-0, Siska 2-1 at the VEB Arena and I believe the true with Lokomotiv as well then from mid-September onwards it's been kind of like an absolute downward slide it's an awful trajectory for Ruben it completely lost the momentum I think they lost four in a, war, four in a, four in a row sorry, at one point and haven't only won again at the weekend with a 3-1 victory over Sky Kabalovsk while rock bottom and until that point Asmund hadn't scored whatsoever this season now he's he got a goal and assist at the weekend and he played very well. But he's actually missed more big chances than any other player in the league with seven. He was getting in these areas, but he just couldn't finish. And that's why Berdiev hasn't been playing as Moon as much, or at all really. He's been preferring other players, a friend like Maxim Kulunikov, and at the start of the season, Jonatas. But Ruben, even in their poor spell, they played well. It's not like they're playing horrendous football and they played, they played well, they just simply can't score goals. That's the problem all season. Losing Jonathan Stanova was massive, massive for Ruben. Yeah, I mean, Tucker, I don't want to get too bogged down in Ruben. And actually, just, I was just thinking about it there. I was listening to you, James, don't worry. But I was just thinking I'd be good to get do sort of like a little Ruben special section on a, on a future podcast. But is Berdiev in a similar situation to Slutsky at Siskar? In that if he comes, I, we said that if Slutsky comes back to Siskar, as Berdiev has to Ruben... Is it a no-win situation because it'll never be better than it was? No, I don't think that because I mean they they did target Vadiev uh, specifically not because he okay also because he he had that great past, but also because he has shown that he is an expert in building a team and building a foundation for something that could be great in the future, and I think it made a lot of sense when they hired him. 
the problem was then that the the owners and the old owners they ran into a lot of problems. So suddenly they couldn't really afford the the players. They had to sell uh, Jonathan at the beginning of the season, for example. They couldn't afford to pay wages. So I don't think we can blame this on Bedir. I think that's completely unfair. Uh, it, it, it has everything to do with the owners and the um, the financial situation of the club, and that's not something we can yeah. blame Bedir on. Also, I mean, when we talk about this, we also have to remember that uh, Simon returned to Locomotive, and, and look how it's going with him now. I mean, he is definitely <laughs> improving his reputation and, and, and proves that just because you return and have a great pass at the club, it doesn't mean that you'll be a failure afterwards when you, when you come back. No, that's a great point. Now, just moving on to the, the lower points in the table, you've mentioned there Skarhabarovsk earlier there, James. 12 points, 7 points clear of Angie, who are actually in the other automatic relegation spot. So 8 points clear of relegation playoffs and then a further 2 of, the, uh, of safety at all. So we're assuming that Skar are down, aren't we, both of us? Well, all three of us. Yeah. Yeah, Scar are relegated uh, pretty much already, unfortunately. It is quite sad for the club because the Berlin Stadium is a beautiful stadium and it's one of my favourite. It's got an old-school Soviet facade and it's one of my favourite in the league. But And the the way the club does business, they're, they're a team that's self-sustainable, uh, but not at this level. And actually not at the FNL either. They struggle quite a lot on the FNL due to the structure of both leagues. And if they get relegated, they might actually struggle again, just like Tom Tomskov, because of the financial problems. But because of the financial problems within the FNL, sorry, not Scar. But Scar is just simply too small of a club, and the travel that they have to have, they've had to put, uh, do this season has been far too big for them, especially when they're at the elite level. Players they've got are good enough for the FNL, they can deal with that because of the level of football there. But you can't be travelling eight hour flights, completely different time zones, and then having to play away to. Players like teams like with the caliber of Spartak and Siskars and Lokomotiv all have, and I think the best thing about Sky this season is that they're not just giving up; they're going down with their heads held high, and they can always be proud of that. Yes, they've lost what, six games in a row. The last victory was in the Russian Cup and over the two victory over Dinamo Saint Petersburg, and the the last points in the league was in late October, I believe, with a draw against Ufa, and they are this. The travelling, the, the tight finances, it's all just starting to take a stall now. And I think they're probably pretty much already doomed, unfortunately, for Scar. Yeah, I mean, looking at the other relegation place there, Toko, we've got Angie stuck in there. Lots of turmoil in terms of transfers over the last couple of windows. I think it's some ridiculous, like, 50-player turnover or something. But they're only one point off the relegation playoffs. And I want to bring Tosno into this discussion as well, because I don't want to get too bogged down in one club. Tosno, for me, I really like that that club, essentially, I think, they do things fantastically well, come up in a really good way, have have a good foundation, a bit like a smaller version of Krasnodar, really. I mean, so just your thoughts on those two clubs in particular. Well, as you said, it, it is really close. And it, I think when, when we're dealing with, just like in the middle of the league, it's, it's difficult to take, to, to say that one team is significantly stronger than the other. I mean, it, it's so close at the end of the season. And that's, and that's why it's, it's, these, it's the marginals that decide who will go down and who will stay up. And that's also why, I mean, I keep coming back to the financial situation of the club, but it, it is such an advantage. And, and Tosno are relatively stable, and that that's just something, for if, if you only follow Western football, it, it sounds so basic, being able to pay the players on time and stuff like that, but it's, it really is it is crucial, and it can be the decisive factor. And, and Tosno have an advantage here. I mean, the clubs around them are really quite unstable, for example, Amka huge problems at the moment. Dynamo Moscow was struggling a bit as well, and and we know Anchi. I mean, you, that's like the the madhouse of the Premier League. So yeah, it does not have a big advantage in simply just being more stable than the rest of the clubs. And and you're right, they do have a nice foundation, and all they need now is a stadium, then they can really start moving forward. Yeah, one club without a good foundation at the moment, Toka, though, is Amkar, and you've got some news to share with us, Russian football fans about them. Uh, completely disaster going on there. Yeah, some sad news. I mean, they've just announced that at, at the moment they don't really have the money to, to finish the season, so they haven't booked any pre-season training camps, um, and the club might might go bankrupt. It, it, remind, it reminds of what we saw with some times last season, what we've seen with Angie. We had these clubs who had to have a massive fire sale during the season, but, but Amkar denied doing that. They said, well, if they do that, it will. It would only extend the, the death of the club. I mean, it wouldn't really solve anything. It would allow them to finish the the season, but at the end of the season, they will they will die anyway. 
So unless they, they set a deadline for January 11, when all the players return from vacation, and unless they have found some long-term funding by then, it looks like they, they won't be able to finish the season, which, yeah, it's, it's sad. It, it really is, because I'm kind of been in the, in the Premier League for a long time. But it's, as I said, I mean, there's just so, there's so many things like this in Russia. And again, it goes back to, to the club simply not being, being financially stable or sustainable. And yeah, I'm kind of lost some funding and, and now they're paying the price. Yeah, I mean, James Toker mentions there about sort of Amkar being so in the Premier League for so long, and it just and he as Toker said, basically, I'm just repeating Toker's point here that <laughs> you know clubs in Russia are very susceptible to changes like this. No, not at all. Amkar suffer from. Just, it's a bit of a broken record, unfortunately, but this is Russian football. It is the financial situation which holds just about every single smaller club back. That's the complete. That is the difference between the elite level and the lower level. Teams like Krasnodar break into that because they are privatised. Amcar rely heavily on the regional government. Now going back to Tosno, their privatised club, Leonid Komenko, has basically sought huge, huge financial backing from Fort Group, a St Petersburg-based state real estate company. And because of that, they've been able to sign like Yachenko, Anderson Cavallo, Bistolov. Uh, didn't turn out so well, but on high wages. Alexander Konitsky and Ian Kutin and Georgia Malkadze are on loan from Spartak without pay, both type pay loan fees. Because of, they, because of their privatisation, because of the stability in the past, Dmitry Parfionov, the manager, was given basically carte blanche as the press officer once claimed a couple of years ago to completely revamp the team after they didn't get promotion in the RFPL after the playoff loss. It, that's exactly the difference between Tarzno and Amkar. Amkar, although the, the stable under Gaji Gajiev, it's completely funded by the regional government. They just can't sign anybody with for any sort of calibre of money, basically. The, the, they've done very well in the past. Alexander Selikov and Georgi Jikia are two players who were signed, who picked up after being released by big clubs and have then thus performed well for Amkar and went back to the big clubs again for essentially nominal fees to an English audience but to Russian football they went for a hell of a lot of money I think it was about 2.5 million euros and they suffer massively from the loss of them too Artur Nigmatulin is a good goalkeeper but he's nowhere near on Salikov's level and they've actually had to bring back the 34 year old veteran Dmitry Belarukov to replace the gaping hole in the middle but teams like Amkar they just can't sometimes they just struggle with the sustainability in the Premier League and Thus, have probably been kept up by Gajev's stability, and I think it might be might be hitting them this year. So, just to sort of round, because I want to talk a bit about the players before we finish on this podcast. By the way, so just to quickly round off the bit about the clubs, just a quick, just a one-word answer from both of you, really. Toker, I'll come to you first. In terms of the clubs, then your biggest surprise is in positive surprise, and then your biggest disappointment so far. Well, I think we've touched these already. I mean, the biggest surprise, I can't, I can't say anyone else than Lokomotiv. What they've done is, that's really remarkable. Leading with eight points, with ten games left, that's that's fantastic. The biggest disappointment, um, I had yeah, Rubik Hassan or Akmar Krasny, probably Akmar Krasny, I think. They used to be more stable, and I had some good expectations for them, so I'm really disappointed there. And James, your two? Uh, surprise, without a doubt, Lokomotiv Moscow. I said earlier on how much they've surprised me. I, I, literally, I genuinely had them down as being one of the biggest disappointments of the season. It was before they made a couple of the final signings near the end of the window. Uh, and I don't rate Gillem at all. And I just didn't expect them to be pulled together in the way that Semin has. And I didn't expect the players to perform the way they have. They've been absolutely brilliant this season. And if they do go on to win the league, they thoroughly, thoroughly deserve it. Disappointment. I can Right now I'm thinking of three. I agree with talk about both Ruben and Akmat, but we didn't know we didn't know about Ruben's financial situation. But with that context, not so much of a disappointment because of what happens there. Akhmat is just about now. I'm talking I said earlier that Angie the madhouse of the Premier League, but I, I disagree. I think Akhmat is the madhouse of the Premier League. When you've got a despotic, a, a despot, literally a despot in charge, who runs the club with a nepotistic arm, and is genuinely crazy and is literally just a white cat away from being an Ernest Blofeld character. They're not so much of a disappointment either, although on the pitch they are. But with that, him in charge, I just can't ever see them hopefully 
being a successful team. For me, the biggest disappointment is actually Dinamo Moscow. And I, ex- I expected Dinamo until the last couple of weeks where they picked up six points in the last two wins. They were in dire straits two weeks ago. They were <laughs> one of the favourites of promotion, uh, relegation Sorry, at one point. Although the, the injuries to Terekov, Anton Terekov and Kirill Panchenko, which are both long-term knee injuries, have hit them hard. I did expect Dinamo to basically compete more than they have. And they're just, don't, they're just not, unfortunately. And they're down in 12th. They're just out of their side of the relegation playoff zone. But, and I think they will stay up, but they're still disappointed. Yeah, just uh, you talk about Akhmat and Angie there as a madhouse. I was going to say that most clubs in the Premier League, in the Russian Premier League, are just one step away from being a madhouse <laughs> most times. But actually, just for the listeners, um, a few months ago, I can't, I can't remember the exact date, but I'm sure if you Google it, you can find our special on uh, Akhmat Grozny, who I think this is just before the name change actually took place, and they were originally Terek. We did a sort of Terek Chechen football special, if you like, with uh, obviously heavily involving the the Grozny club. So go and go and listen to that. That's the, that's hopefully give you quite a lot of insight into the thing. I want to move on to the players a bit now. Um, so it'd be quite a short discussion this, but generally, Toker, I'm going to come to you first. Biggest surprise player, sort of best player, and then your most disappointing as well. I'm going to throw a name at you after you've come out, and actually I'll throw it after James has come come with his as well. But you might say it, so. Yeah, who knows? Maybe smart smart minds think alike, so could be. <laughs> Not on this podcast. <laughs> I think for me the biggest surprise has been uh, Luka Djordjevic being playing so well. I mean, for for many years we have we have typed him, we have waited for him to break through when he was an exciting young talent at the uh, at Senate. We have seen him loaned out to clubs like Sampdoria, Twente, and but it has just like never materialized, and it was starting to look like it was never going to happen, unfortunately. But he has he has been really really good for for Arsenal tool of this season, and I've been very impressed and pleasantly surprised by watching him play. I mean. Scoring, I think it's seven goals for for a team like Arsenal. Tula, that's that's quite impressive. That's like one third of all the goals they've scored. So, yeah, I think very well done by him. And he could he could perhaps if he, if he continues, he could move on to some bigger things. One of the um, the big disappointment I have to go to one of his former teammates, uh, Alex Shatov. He was he was a wonderful player a few years ago, but last season he wasn't good. And this season he has just continued not to live up to the expectations and. He's he's very far away from moving to a club like Borussia Dortmund or whatever was um, the rumors were a couple of years ago. And I just remember he was he was he was so good um, not long ago, but now it's like nothing ever comes from his um, his actions. And when he gets the ball, he hardly plays anymore. And yeah, that's that's the big disappointment for me. Well, let's hope he actually possibly gets a move in the winter transfer window and actually gets some football playing time, particularly with the World Cup coming up next year. Because as Toko says, he is, just for those who haven't really seen him that much, if you're sort of new to Russian football, then he is a really wonderful player to watch. Former futsal player, Nikatin and Bugs, has that lovely sort of technical skill. I mean, James, what about your your player ratings then? Uh, biggest surprise is probably Kaveh Kalia. He did perform well in, up in the in the back end of last season for Lokomotiv. And then, of course, made the loan move permanent in the summer. And although performing well, I, I just genuinely didn't think he had this in him. The the ability, the level that he's performing at right now is beyond the Premier League, well beyond the Russian Premier League. And he, the way he's played, the way he's led Lokomotiv. I mean, this is a team who are missing Vetran Choluka, who is an enigmatic leader for them. He's been brilliant since he signed for Lokomotiv. But not, it, it, it doesn't even seem like they're missing him whatsoever. Whoever's playing alongside him, whether it's Nemanja Pekinovic or Talas Mikalik, Kver Kalia has led that side absolutely wonderfully this season. And although it may not be a surprise to some Lokomotiv fans, I just don't think, I just from watching him, I just didn't think he had it in him this season before. Uh, disappointment is actually maybe a little bit out there, but it's Georgi Melkadze. He's the young Spartak winger who's uh, on loan at Tosno. And he's been flourishing for Spartak too in the Fener for numerous years now. And he's been flitting between Spartak 1 and 2 between the senior and the feed team. And at the start of the season, I thought he'd finally be given his chance to a first-team football in the Premier League. And he was. He was given his chance by Porfionov. And he just simply hasn't took it. The pressure was on him massively for Malkadza to develop the season. This was when he had to move on. And it's in the past, he's been criticised for his poor work ethic. But he's always been brilliant. Like, I think there's a 
he's got a little bit of an air of like a poor man's Roberto Firmino, like the way he can play the false nine role. He's got a creative talent. He's got pace, dribbling, dribbling ability, and a wicked shot. And I was hoping Pierre Fornov would be a great mentor for him. But Milkata's just disappointed massively. He's barely played for Tosna. Now, he doesn't get a job and he doesn't get, doesn't ever play on the wing. can't play attack midfield because of the way Tosna play with Zabalotny and Markov up front together. And he, he maybe he could get a chance of Zabalotny's Zabalotny moving on to the Zenit. But I should be very, very disappointed. But the man I see, he just looks like he's not in it. He just looks like he's harsh and he's not bothered. Like, He's never tracking back with Tosna. And this is a team who are regimented. It's an f- old school 4-4-2 where every player works to a man. Kofjanov de- is a very, very demanding coach. And Milkanta's just nowhere near. He- he's not following his instructions. His lack of defensive contribution, his lack of worth ethic has all been highlighted this season. And he's not even been that creative. Very disappointed. You actually mentioned a player that I was going to bring up, but you, you didn't quite mention it in the same context I'm going to do. And that is Anton Zabalotny, who I'm going for as sort of a big surprise package this season. Came up with Torsna, has now got himself into the Russian national team, got a move to Zenit St. Petersburg, of course, one of the biggest clubs in the league who are looking to challenge in Europe eventually. The only thing I would say, Toker, and I'm sure we've, we've spoken a lot about this, is it doesn't turn into something like a Johan Moller move, where he just sort of comes into the big club, doesn't settle and then just spends months and months on the bench and then eventually has to leave and therefore loses his, his, the best part of his career, essentially. Yeah, that's that's what I fear as well. I mean, he has been impressive um, before, but Senate is such a massive step up and I, th- I think it's, a, it's too big a step for him, unfortunately. Yeah, I think I'd agree, to be fair. Although, I, like yeah, I said, I have, I have been impressed with him this season, but unfortunately, I think that move could be wrong. Prove us wrong, though, Anton. Prove us wrong. And actually, James, I think biggest disappointment you mentioned it earlier and I was slightly surprised you didn't bring it up again but I'm, I'm sure you, you, I hope you'll agree is Sara Azmun at Rubin a lot of expectations yeah. surrounding him this season you know has been you know we, I remember we spoke we've spoken in the past about and you mentioned Shatov earlier being linked with moves like uh, Borussia Dortmund we've heard of Liverpool being linked with uh, Azmun and places like that and especially in World Cup year for Iran now where he's going to be so heavily relied on it's really disappointing to, have to see him have this bad season because this was the season, especially the World Cup, he could get himself a big move next summer and it's just not happening for him. Yeah, definitely agreed. I think my, I think I only chose Melkadze or Vazm in the end. When I was trying to put the who I choose together, I probably chose Melkadze because of my Spartak loyalty so the genuine disappointment I've seen from his performances this season. But Asmund's been very poor. I expected a lot from Asmund. I think in my preview, I I predicted that Rubin would finish in fourth or fifth the season, definitely get to get into Europe. And one of the big reasons for that was Azun. Now he's been <sighs> classed as the Iranian Messi, which is a horrendous comparison. I hate this. That's just that anybody that from a country who's slightly good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it's, it's just crazy over, uh, overestimation. And the pressure that put on his shoulders are huge. But still, he's, going, he's, he's, he's with his mentor in Berdiev. Berdiev plays to his strengths. And it's not like he, he, he's performed to an all right level. He's not, he's not like he's just kicking everything left, right, and center, like hoping, trying too hard and going. He's just not getting a game because of his sheer inability to hit the back of the net until that game against Scar the, in, the, in the round 20. And we got a goal, picked up a goal assist and performed very well, admittedly, against Scar, who pretty much seem to have given up at this point, bless them. But it's just... Just, it, just very quickly, though, James, what, I, what I'd say, I remember when he was... Um, sorry sorry to sort of ignore you, Toker. I will bring you in, don't worry. What I, I was just going to say, on with the Rostov's title season, well, title challenge season, a lot was made of him. But actually, if you looked at the stats, he wasn't actually that consistent in front of goal. A lot of his goals came towards the end of the campaign. So actually, throughout the season, he, he wasn't proven to be a, a natural finisher, so to speak. He's, he's not, no. And he's actually quite a deceptive player. Like, when you see Asmund play, he's quite slight when you look at him. When you see him play, he doesn't... He's completely different. He's, he's one of his strengths is actually his aerial ability. And when he was at Rostov, he, you're right, he, he scored a hell of a lot of goals towards the end of the season. And at the start, he, he started very slowly and very poorly. And he, as he got momentum, he became stronger and stronger. As Rostov themselves gained momentum, and became stronger. So maybe... In the second half of the season, with the winter break, Ruben Berdiev could get his players together, take these three or four months and get them working to a man 
on his system, which is a very highly demanding system and very hard to pretty much implement in only, what, six months. So possibly, as you say, he could do the same again and improve massively, but he's still disappointed now. And he's developed since he's Rostov. And like as a counterpoint to what you've said, he's, he's developed since these Rostov days. He's a much more accomplished player. When you see him in an Iran team, which is admittedly Iran's golden generation, he is one of the focal points alongside Reza Gushanad. Everything goes through Asmoon, but he's been kind of a little bit anonymous at times for Ruben this season. Yeah, I mean, Toka, just to, I don't want to sort of lambast people all the time, but what are your thoughts on Asmoon here then? Because I, I think you mentioned him a bit earlier in the show with the, the transfer when you're talking about Rubin's finances. And actually, just to make your point, the point you're talking about getting the players in over the winter break, James, is if they're not being paid, they're hardly going to think, oh, let's turn up and go to work and work really hard. <laughs> but, yeah, very true. Very but, true. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's <laughs> one he's unlucky because he had exactly the same situation at Rostov. So he's, I mean, he knows what it's like not being paid. And for some reason, the problems always seem to find him. But I think Asmund is a good player, but at the same time, I've always found him to be slightly overrated. I mean, he has been hyped. You see him linked to Liverpool. You see him like compared to Messi. I know it's a ridiculous comparison, but still, I mean, he's a good player, but I don't think he's that good. I mean, there's still he still he still doesn't score enough goals for for a striker, and he does have some good tools. He he is obviously a talented guy and and, and a good player, but. For some reason, it's just like people continue to to talk about him as if he's much better than than I think he really is. Because let's be honest, there's no way on earth that he's moving to Liverpool in the in the near future. No, I so think, I think I'd second job. I, I just find I just find it annoying. And he's a decent player, but I don't think he's any more than that. Okay, well, that's a nice negative way to uh, round off proceedings there, Toko. I wouldn't expect any less of you. That's perfect. <laughs> but, I'm glad not to disappoint you. No, yeah, perfect. <laughs> there was, I can't remember. I don't think there was any optimism throughout the show, but hopefully you will sort of, when you lie in bed tonight when you're going to sleep, you, you will feel really regretful that you offered any optimism at all. I don't, I don't think you did, <laughs> but if, you, if something comes to mind, then I'm sure you'll feel really better. I, I did say some nice things about locomotive, though. Oh, that's, well, that, I think that's reasonable today. I think that's I think that's fair enough because that is that is a fantastic story as we've mentioned. I mean, James, you were you were the optimist today, but you you shouldn't feel guilty because you made some incredibly salient, optimistic points, which is unfortunately very rare in Russian football. So it's good, it's yeah. good that somebody could provide them. But that brings the end of the podcast. Um, just before we go, going to round up all the social media stuff and everything. So of course, RussianFootballNews.com for the website, Russian Football News Facebook at Russ Football News on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram. There's Russian Football News for contact your page. Um, I mean, Toka, just to talk about the website there, as the editor, are there any upcoming pieces or any picks from recent um, articles that you'd like to feature? I, th- I think the most interesting thing we have in the, in the upcoming weeks is uh, the RFN Top 50, where we rank the 50 best players in, in Russia right now. So that'll be that'll come in in beginning of January, and I think I love it. I think it's so exciting to see where the different players rank and, and who's the best player in the Russian Premier League. That's definitely, that'll definitely uh, give reason for some discussion. Good, perfect. So keep an eye on that. And just before we go, of course, just our own personal social media accounts. I'm at Thomas underscore Giles underscore UK. Thomas underscore Giles underscore UK. Um, James, will come to you first. What your social media handle, your Twitter handle? Yeah, it's at James Nichols. And that's N-I-C-K-E-L-S. Perfect. And uh, Toka, your one, we've heard it loads of times before, obviously, as we have mine, obviously. Uh, but just go through it again. Yeah, I hope you follow me already. But if you don't, it's uh, you can find me at Toka Thielate. That's T-O-K-E and then T-H-E-I-L-A-D-E. Perfect. And actually, just before we go, Toka, um, just mentioning to the listeners, you signing, tell them a bit about the um, the Russian football news, the, the weekly newsletter, because that's a, that's a really great feature that we have. Oh, yeah, basically... Um, Go to our Facebook page and contact us in the send us a message, and you can sign up for the the weekly newsletter. I mean, it's it's nothing too serious. It's we we try to keep it light and and funny, and we give you the most important news from Russian football from the past week. We update you on what's going on on the site during the season. We update on, of course, on the predictions leagues and stuff like that. So it's it's the perfect way to to stay up to date, and and you get links to the most 
uh, both one of the hottest p- pieces from recent weeks, but also like an editor's pick, which is an open article that has become relevant again. So, yeah, definitely um, get in touch and, and we'll sign you up for the newsletter because it's uh, it's a lot of fun for, for all of us. Um, perfect. And, uh, of course... I've just realised I ignored telling you to uh, telling everybody to sign up for the podcast. Thanks to the World Football Index for hosting this podcast. By the way, do sign up uh, through World Football Index. Subscribe uh, to them and get us through iTunes or all your other podcast outlets that you can you dream up of. But go to World Football Index. That's probably the easiest way to find us. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, and uh, we will see. And ha- of course, thanks again to uh, Toker and James as per usual. And uh, we will see you in a couple of weeks. Идет футбольный матч, летит на поле мяч. 